Hey there, and welcome back to another episode of Scopophilia. We are the millennial movie movement. And I, of course, am your host, Becky Teller, back at it with more film content just for you. First of all, you look great, and I'm happy that you're here. And this season is just, it's just getting started, and it's already been amazing. And so in order to keep up with how amazing this season has been, uh, I figure there's no better way to keep this party going than to talk about a truly iconic piece of cinema, still quoted to this day, still referenced to this day. If you haven't seen it, then you've just been born, and there's no other way There's no other explanation as to how you haven't seen this film yet. And if you clicked on this episode to listen, one, if you're a first time listener, hi, how are you? But if you've clicked on this episode, then you already know we are talking about Dirty Dancing. Yes, I've had the time of my life. And if you don't know that song, what are you doing? First of all, if you haven't seen Dirty Dancing, pause everything and go watch it because we are deep diving into Dirty Dancing. And who is we, you might be asking. And first of all, valid question. Uh, Today, we have back on friend of the show, Nina Storm, who had such an amazing perspective and thought process when it came to Showgirls when she was on last season for season two. And so she has decided to go with the theme of dancing. Dance is her life, of course, that makes sense. And we had talked about a couple dancing movies at the time we recorded. It was summer, and she said, this is my quintessential summer movie. I have to watch this movie every year with my mom in the summer. It's something that we do. So, of course, we're talking about Dirty Dancing, and it may not be summer anymore. We are in October, which is my favorite time of the year, but I feel like Dirty Dancing is something that we can watch all year long and still have fun and still feel everything that Dirty Dancing wants us to feel. Uh, And if you need any other excuse to watch it all year round, um, it's Patrick Swayze. That's all you need to know if you haven't seen it, because if you haven't seen it, you've been living under a rock, um, is all I can say about that. So without further ado, my interview with Nina Storm about her favorite film, Dirty Dancing. Enjoy! Scopophilia, it's the newest thing to hit the market. Defined as deriving aesthetic pleasure from looking at something, it's the new craze sweeping the nation. Taken in large doses, side effects can include an addictive nature to have more film content. If this increase occurs, consult no one and keep listening. Hey there, Scopophiliacs, and welcome back to another episode of Scopophilia, the podcast. And I'm so excited because we have back again after a whirlwind of traveling and doing shows and things like that. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but we have Nina Storm on the show today. Hi, how are you? (laughs) Hi, Becky. I'm good. I'm so happy to be back. I'm glad we finally made this happen. 
Yeah, you are one busy lady. <laughs> a lot of running around in the we're finally allowed to do things again, I guess. Yeah, yeah, for what sure. For me. So <laughs> Yes. And so, I mean, how have you been since we last spoke? I mean, it's been a decent couple of months since yeah. then. Yeah, I think we last talked in April um, when we did Showgirls. Yes, uh, very fun conversation. <laughs> I have been, uh, yeah, okay, just sort of trying to figure out what life looks like now that, you know, things aren't at all how they were, but they're how <laughs> they are. And I haven't actually gotten to get my show back up yet. I am working on that, hoping for November. So I do have an outdoor um, stage venue here in LA that I found that's like a full production outdoor stage that's beautiful and um, very, you know, safe uh, from a COVID perspective. And there's a lot of history in LA. So I am working on, um, yeah, nailing down a November date to get LA Woman All Femme Review back up at that theater. Amazing. Stay tuned. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Very exciting. And so, I mean, I'm so excited to get you back on because we had such a great discussion last time about showgirls. And so I said to you, do you want to come back? And you were, you know, gracious enough to say yes. And I said, you know, what movie do you want to pick? And you were kind of batting some around. And then finally we landed here, which is Dirty Dancing. And so tell me a little bit about, you know, why this movie? Well, especially because we were talking about this over the summer. Um, Mm -hmm. This is such a quintessential summer film, first of all, Mm -hmm. um, which I absolutely love that about it. Um, And also because it's a dance film and I'm a dancer and dance is my passion. And, um, you know, I really feel that dance is the star of this movie. um, Oh yeah. More so than anybody who's in it, even though it has some great stars as well. and so, yeah. And then, you know, a couple of the others we talked about, I was like, that's going to be like a lot of like academic work if I pick some <laughs> of the other ones. And I was like, you know what, let's keep it light in terms mm-hmm. of like, I know this film really well. I've seen it so many times as such a special place in my heart. And like, let's see what's there, you know, because I hadn't ever sort of really dissected it. So that is... um that's kind of why I, I picked it. It's it's really about an exploration of how dance can open people up and inspire people regardless of their abilities or their background. And it's about like that universal magic of dance. Absolutely. Well, and I know, I think it's so sweet you were saying before we started recording that you watch it with your mom over the summer because you have the anniversary uh, DVD. Is that what- yeah, yeah. She, we have that. I think I gave it to her for Christmas one year or something. But yeah, we always... <laughs> I see my, I always see my family in the summer. And so, yeah, we always do a screening of it. She and I, it's a great mother daughter film as well. I love that. (laughs) She loves that time period. You know, she, she grew up in the sixties. So it's really nice. I love that. Well, and so, I mean, so what would you say is the like kind of shortest synopsis you could give about Dirty Dancing? I mean, it's been since 1987. So if you haven't seen it already, what are you doing sleeping on it? (laughs) Yeah. But for those who are unaware of Dirty Dancing, you know, what's the shortest kind of? Well, I hope nobody's unaware of it. But um, yeah, that's actually, I didn't actually do that. So I would say it is the story. It's a it's a coming of age story of a, a young woman who is Jewish in um, the 1960s. I believe it's 1963 that it takes place. But I have to double yeah. check that. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and it, it's a coming of age story of her. And it's not just a coming of age, um, you know, in just the sexual way or the, you know, transitioning to adult, but it's a awakening and discovery of a lot of things for her through dance. Uh, and that's sort of the um, conduit for her coming of age. Um, and it explores, you know, class divisions. Um, it explores integrity and morals and what that means to each individual that's involved in what has happens with the plot. And sort of at, at the end of the day, it's about, you know, who you are as a person and, and standing up for what you believe in. Absolutely, for sure. And it's so interesting because you had said, you know, let's talk about Dirty Dancing. And I was like, okay, sure. And kind of had the same experience of showgirls of like, well, I don't know how much there is to this movie. And then when you really watch it, you see there's a lot of interesting things that they're touching on in what could be seen as like a more frivolous movie, I guess you could say. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I think you would only think it was frivolous if you hadn't actually seen it or you right. weren't paying very close attention. And you watched yeah. it. Yeah, I kind of felt also that it was a good t- counterpart to Showgirls because what they share, other than being, you know, having dance as a focal point um, and that passion for dance as a focal point, is um, a, a non traditional female protagonist that doesn't fit neatly into the tropes of, you know, mainstream film. Um, and similarly, uh, there was a lot of negative critical reviews of this film. And uh, I think just, you know, same old story, right? Doesn't fit what we expect and what we think a female character should be doing. So we're just going to trash it. Right. It definitely had that going on. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> well, and so, I mean, let's get into it. I mean, you sent me over your notes, which I love. I love that. And I mean, you have so many great points here that I am so excited to cover. I mean, let's just start right at the beginning because I mean, you had said the opening sequence specifically is so artistic. And I mean, talk to me a little bit about, you know, what you're seeing there from like a dance perspective and like, you know, why was that, you know, something that you wanted to like initially highlight in your notes? What is it about that scene? Well, so yeah, I'm talking about the, it's um opening credit sequence uh, yeah. before the film actually starts that gritty gritty black and white up close um of the the employees at the resort where the movie is set in the catskills um you know those are the dirty dancers if you will you know that the title comes from so that's right those these kids that work at the resort and they're you know lower class working class and this is their style of dance and you know that's kind of a through line of the film but that opening sequence like you're not thinking about all that especially if you haven't seen the film you're just pulled in on such a visceral level because they're grinding and they're dipping and they're rolling their heads and like it's just completely draws you in it's captivating it's exciting it's electrifying it's so beautifully done and actually just um reread that la times review and and they even call that out um, they say the reviewer is a woman named Sheila Benson, and she says it especially works because from his first incendiary title dance sequence, Artelino, using every tool of filmmaking, has an extraordinary ability to let us feel the exhilaration and pure animal pleasure of dancing in perfect sync with a partner. And Artelino refers to Emil Artelino, the director. 
But I was like, yep, nailed it. And <laughs> pleasure and like <laughs> exhilaration. That's what it is right there. And right. It's just like, bam, like you're in, you know, you see that and you're just like, I want to be here. So that's why I love yeah. it. Absolutely. Well, and it's so true that there's like, there's a synchronicity into it. And like, I think there was, uh, there was a different one that had said, you know, it's kind of shaking off the monotony of like the foxtrot or, you know, um, the, the mamba or no, yeah, yeah, Yeah. (laughs) but it's, you know, it's new and I, oh, I can't remember what his name is, but it's, um, one of the employees says something like, yeah, all the kids are doing it in their basements back home. And I'm like, right. yep, that's it right there. <laughs> yeah. The cu- Patrick's cousin. I can't remember his yes. name either. It's weird. They don't mention him by name very often, but yeah. 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 No, that's where it comes from. It's like underground, right? Yeah. And like you said, there's definitely a feeling of like between the underground of this it's it's like this own resort has its own kind of ecosystem almost there's like this underground groovy dirty dancing vibe and then you have like the rich upper class who's like stiff and like oh let's play charades like no big deal yeah (laughs) no it's true it's i mean those layers of existence all in this one place are really fascinating yeah um and yeah, you just see those contrasts and that's what's so interesting about the character Baby is because she manages to straddle those worlds, which I think is probably pretty unusual in that setting for something like that to have happened. Absolutely. And obviously, you know, it's she's gets in a lot of trouble for it. Uh, everybody right. does, but um, <laughs> she, she does it, which, you know, yeah. it's very daring. Absolutely. And it's, it's interesting to look back because I haven't seen this movie in a good couple of years, I'd say. And Baby is really more fascinating than I think I ever gave her credit for in terms of like, she thinks she knows who she is and then comes here and it's like, not that her whole world is cracked open, but it's like, she's shown a different side of things and then that kind of helps her realize who she is really by the end of it. And she she's kind of a take charge lady, you know? Oh, in yeah. the power that she has, you know? That was the summer of 1963, when everybody called me baby and it didn't occur to me to mind. That was before President Kennedy was shot, before the Beatles came, when I couldn't wait to join the Peace Corps, and I thought I'd never find a guy as great as my dad. That was the summer we went to Kellerman's. No, that's what I really love about the character and why I was saying that, you know, it didn't fit a conventional mold. And even Jennifer Gray says that. So there's some really great interviews with her and some other um, people that worked on the film in that anniversary edition DVD, like the, the bonus features. And she says when she read the script, she was just like, I don't know what this is. Like, is it blue? It's not, you know, this isn't a teen film. Like, is this going to be dirty? And she just couldn't figure out because it didn't fit anything, you know, that had really been done. And especially not at that time, right? 1987, like, 
it was really out of the box when you think of like the mainstream, like John Hughes kind of teen movies that are all great, but they definitely follow like a very set formula. Um, oh yeah, not that there's not formula to this, but in terms of the, her character and the the arc and the you know the female protagonist being very unusual. Um, yeah, no, she's she's pushing the envelope. Um, the other thing I really love about her character and the way they tell the story through her is that painful longing that she has from the beginning when she sees people dancing. And I just love how that there's an early scene, you know, after dinner when they're all in the main hall and she first watches those little kids dancing and they're like, they look like they've been to like charm school or something. And they're just like so perfect. (laughs) And then Johnny and Penny do their dance. And, and both of those you can see in her face, just like, you know, I think we've all had that feeling, you know, whether it's true or not, but that we felt like we're looking at other people and at a party or, or the off or whatever environment. And we're feeling like, well, I'm just not that good. I'm not cool. I want to be that person so badly. Like, why can't right. I be that glamorous or smart or exciting or beautiful or whatever? You know, that's a pretty universal experience. And, and you can just feel that coming off of her right from that scene. And, and, you know, that's a big driver for her throughout the film is she so desperately wants to morph and into this sexual, sexy, uninhibited person who can dance. And, you know, she, she does, (laughs) but watch that play off of her the whole time. And I thought it was really interesting because by like the time I'd watched it another couple of times, I was like, yeah, that's actually how Johnny feels about, people like Mr. Houseman, right? Like it's just the reverse. Like he definitely wants to be heard and, you know, feel respected and be an authority and have some agency, you know, when he tries to suggest a new idea for the closing number and he just gets slapped down. Yeah. So it's that same kind of like outside looking in longing to be something that you don't feel you are. That I feel, I love that element of this because I feel like they just capture it really well. Oh, a hundred percent. And it's it's so interesting, like the differences and the similarities between these characters. And I mean Jennifer Gray and Patrick Swayze, I mean, iconic now. And just the fact that it's they find each other and then they both learn from each other in a way that like benefits both of them that by the end they've they've truly figured out who they are as people and how they want to like navigate through life and i i just love i think you had mentioned this in your notes too of like you know she takes charge even in their like sexual scenes like he takes charge in dancing and then she kind of takes charge everywhere else of like you know pushing him to fight harder and 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 do more and kind of embrace like I don't know who he is, I guess, is the best way of saying it. But it's just so kind of lovely, really, when you look at it like as a whole, rather than just like, oh, it's a dance movie, you know? Right. Well, yeah. I mean, and dance is what allows all of these transformations to happen. I mean, that's why I really right. love it because, you know, it's not, there's so many great dance movies, but you're not just like watching these like insane dance numbers where like Barishnikov is just doing things that you can't get your head around. And that's thrilling. Like it, 
that's the other thing they did so well is that they really wove the dance numbers and dance element into the plot in a way that they just couldn't exist without each other. And that's pretty hard to do, especially when you're like, oh, is this a musical? And like, the, it, it works as a musical because that those are woven in, but then it's, it feels real versus like dance number back to the dialogue, you know? So it, right nothing that happens with any of those characters would be possible without dance. Absolutely. Well, and I, I wanted to talk to you a little bit more about the dance because that's such a great point of like, because obviously dance is a huge part of the movie. And I know you have a personal connection with the dance as well. And I mean, talk to me a little bit about that. Cause there's, there's definitely, you know, different dances and, kind of breakthrough dances in terms of like character development. I mean, the montage with hungry eyes, like, I mean, tell me a little bit about that, you know, from someone who has, you know, you're in the dance world. Uh, I, and I know nothing about it. <laughs> I know absolutely nothing about dance. So, I mean, tell me a little bit about like your perspectives on that. Uh, yeah. Um, I actually want to pull out another quote to preface this part of our conversation from that LA Times review. I wonder if the reviewer actually is also has a dance background or maybe was a dance critic as well, because she really seems to get it. But this is mm-hmm. a quote from that um, original review from when the film came out. Uh, because director Artolino comes from a background in dance films, including He Makes Me Feel Like Dancing, he doesn't insult us with the impossible too easily achieved. When Baby does her crucial exhibition, it's brave and it will pass, but it isn't perfection. This is a director who knows the difference between a natural dancer and a created one, and he won't blur the distinctions. At the other end of the spectrum, the Swayze Road stance numbers have that wonderful showy mixture of pride and abandon that comes only with a lifetime of training. And I just feel like she really nails it there. Like, they... I, I just know from talking to somebody who worked on the film and from a lot of the research that I did that they re- it was very important to them that there was that distinction of the different types of dancers and the different types of dance that you see in the film. So, you know, one of those types of dancers and dance are all the staff kids, dirty dancing at the party. You know, that's just raw and it's street and it's sexy and it's, you know, wild and nobody's worrying about choreography. And then, you know, there's her learning to dance for, for the performance. And, and my, one of my favorite lines is when he says the steps aren't enough. You have to feel the music. And he does that Mm. thing. And I'm like, if there's one thing that like a good dance teacher, because I come from like always dancing my whole life, but only starting to like seriously train as a, an adult in my thirties, that's when I started like learning Fosse and like regularly going to, to dance class. Every teacher at some point will say when you're learning new choreography, like this time, like, don't worry about the steps. Like I want you to show me like what's inside, like feel the, you know, that's the most important thing because you could be technically perfect, but if the emotion isn't there, then you don't have anything moving. And so, you know, they, I think they show every side of it, right? They show 
what I just, you know, the kids, they show her learning and trying so hard when you're in your head to understand what you're supposed to do. And always when I'm learning choreography, like there comes a point and there came a point in my learning how to learn choreography, which is a totally separate skill in itself from dancing that really has nothing to do with being a good dancer. It's just learning how to train your brain and your body together where you just switch your brain off and you just put it in your body and you just say, I'm just going to let my body know. I know my body's going to know what to do. I'm just going to let it go. I'm going to stop thinking about it. And like, that's mm. the, like the flip over when you're learning choreography. And you know, there for people who are professional dancers who that's what they do for a living. I, they don't even, I'm sure ha- like they're so adept at learning new choreography. that It's just mind blowing. Like it's, it's right. good for them because that's what they do all day long. Um, but you see baby is not that person. And she's trying as hard as she possibly can. And it is, it's grueling. It's frustrating. You get so tired of it. And, you know, she doesn't, they don't portray her as being a natural dancer, although she already had a dance background. Her father is uh, Joel Gray, is Jen- Jennifer Gray's father, who plays oh. um, the, he's in Cabaret. He's the MC in Cabaret. Right, right. Yeah, he's a huge Broadway star. Um, so that, is really beautiful to me that that the director and the writer were able to tell the story that way and then the whole thing about when penny and johnny are dancing that there's nothing like watching a dancer at that level a professional who like they're so trained that you don't see the effort and it just feels it feels wild even though it's not and that's just another element of of dance. So yeah, I just, I think there was just that intelligent, you know, experienced understanding of all of these facets of dance and, and they nailed it. And so if you're a dancer or you love dance, that's part of what makes this movie just so wonderful. Absolutely. Well, and you met one of the choreographers, correct? Yes. So when the assistant choreographer, and she also played uh, Vivian, the bungalow bunny. Right. Um, her name is Miranda Garrison. And she, so the choreographer is Kenny Ortega. And he also choreographed like Michael Jackson's one tour and, or no, this mm-hmm. is it. Sorry. Um, right. The one that didn't happen because Michael died. Um, it, Kenny is huge. Um Yeah. But Miranda was his assistant choreographer, and then she ended up getting cast as Vivian because the person who was supposed to play Vivian got sick or had a problem with cast, something. And so I was, um, she lives here in LA, and one of the first dance performances, actually the first dance performance that I choreographed and presented as an adult, I was rehearsing at Hollywood Dance Center. And it was to a song that's in Dirty Dancing, just coincidentally, it wasn't my intention, but it's a song by Solomon Burke called Cry to Me that they play um, during one of the seduction love scenes in Patrick's mm. uh, cabin, which by the way, that's a really nice cabin. It's supposed to yeah. be staff quarters, but I'm always like, right. I'd live there. Like that place is awesome. <laughs> just want to say. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I was working on that number and I came out of the studio and Miranda, who I didn't know who she was at the time, said, oh, what are you doing with that song? 
And so I don't, you know, I said whatever I said. And, and she was like, oh, well, I was actually in that movie. And then she told me who she was and her role in the film and the, the choreography. And this was, I don't know, eight or nine years ago. And I've been rehearsing and working out at that studio ever since. And so I've gotten to know her pretty well. She's absolutely phenomenal. She choreographs Selena with Jennifer Lopez. Um, and she comes from the street club background mm. in in Southern California. Um, so she has told me a lot of great stuff about this film. But one of the really interesting things is how they built the staff dance scene so like one of my favorite scenes and i'm sure everybody's is you know when they when sh when baby first stumbles into that staff party right it's like <laughs> mine as well be an orgy she's just like what the fuck and right the whole carry to watermelon thing you know it's like the most quotable line besides <laughs> don't put baby in a corner and and so that that scene and any scenes with those kids they, it was very important to Kenny and Miranda that um, they weren't casting a bunch of professional dancers, that they were then going to try to make them feel street. So they cast a mix, but they cast a lot of just club kids and street dancers, which is, that's what Miranda identifies herself as, like somebody who doesn't have a ton of formal training and isn't technically perfect, um, but has that raw, passionate, fiery style. And so they set it all up as like workshopping improv and they like created like like a clubby feel and they started building it's called inside out that's how they refer to it and so they would just have them start dancing and playing and that's how they built the steps and what became the choreography was from improving and letting those kids just do what they naturally did um and so that's a big thing that she uh, she loves to highlight about about the film um and then like stuff like i asked her about that scene when baby is dancing by herself on that bridge sort of mm. in the first third of the film you know once she realizes she's gonna learn this number and fill in for penny and she's like by herself and kind of clowning around and she's making sure nobody's <laughs> looking that whole thing is to wipe out Mm -hmm. And so like that, she said, was a lot of improving too, and just kind of letting Jennifer do what she was going to do. And then they'd sort of figure out what worked and kind of narrow it down, um, which I just think was so awesome and, and great. And, and that's what makes it feel so relatable, right? Like, oh, yeah. Um, and then the hungry eyes scene with Penny and baby and Johnny, where they're really like getting her into that, those steps that's how Miranda would teach partner dancing. She would do that exact same thing. So that came from her own practice um, with teaching. Um, so yeah, she's just really incredible. And uh, she loved working with Patrick and they had a great relationship. And it's just been such a gift to get to know her and learn about, you know, the film and all kinds of other things from her. She's, she's old school. It's pretty awesome. <laughs> I mean, and that's so interesting of like, I don't know, I guess like for me who I don't dance or I don't really know anything about dance. And so to hear like the process is so fascinating to me, especially when I think a lot of people are just thinking in terms of like, okay, there is specific dance moves that you have to learn. It goes five, six, seven, eight, you know, that kind of feel. 
where this, you're right, it feels very organic and it feels very street, I guess is the best way to say it. And it's just so interesting to kind of think that like, even with those scenes where like, it's a little more casual than like the Foxtrot or whatever, even that has like a process to get to the point of like, all right, this is what we want to film kind of thing. It's, it's so fascinating. No, that's exactly what they did. They worked into it until they had pulled out like, okay, here's what we want to shoot. So yeah, I I agree. Yeah. I think it's what makes it work. It's so fascinating. And well, so let me ask you, because I know that you had said, you know, the opening credits are, you know, one of your favorite parts. Do you have like a favorite part or like several favorite parts? (laughs) Yeah, no, I have have several. Um, Yeah, let's just go through them. Um, Yeah. I mean, her going into the staff party and that whole scene, the cinematography during, during the staff party. Do you love me or is it Soul Man? Maybe it's both. I think it's Do You Love Me and then Soul Man. But I love, yeah, I love when, um, you know, so she, she busts into that with the cousin. Mm. And then I think Johnny and Penny come in shortly after, right? Because they've just come from doing their thing. Right. And so I love the way that all feels so real, like a real club or dance party. And one of my favorite, favorite things, and this is so funny because this happened with showgirls too, where I see something where I'm like, but that's what I do. And I'm like, (laughs) oh, I guess that's like a universal, like love of dance thing to do. But when Patrick just, he just starts dancing around and like dancing right. with different people and just kind of, I do that every time I'm out dancing. It's so fun. And people just <laughs> love it. People just die. They just crack up and they just, I mean, they just, and so when I watched him do that, I'm like, that just nails it. Like, you're just so excited. <laughs> and you're so feeling the song that you're just like, I'm going to get a little bit of everyone here. Like, Right. I just, I, it's so amazing. That, that scene, I, if I could just live in a scene, that's definitely up there with like, <laughs> where I want to live. Um, and then like also in that same section. So I, that's when, oh, you know, I can't, I guess that's not the same scene. It must be another night, maybe. I can't remember. So they're, it's still the same people and they're at the staff party. Maybe it is the same scene. But that when they start talking about having her fill in. Oh, right. <laughs> I just left out. Johnny's like, she can't do it. She cannot do it. And you're just like, so. <laughs> and then you just see her face and she's like, oh, fuck you. It's right. like, I am absolutely doing this. And, you know, she probably doesn't think she can do it either. But she's like, just to prove him wrong. Right. And, and I just love how uncomfortable he is with the idea, you know, understandably. Yeah. For a number of reasons. <laughs> but like I just like we could just go down a Patrick Swayze rabbit hole because he is such a such a great loss for, oh, I know. for the artistic world. And if you ever hear people who worked with him talk about him, I mean all anybody can do is sing his praises. He's this incredible Renaissance man, right? He he did grew up, his mother was a really well known ballet teacher, so he had this, you know, very technically um proficient dance background from a young age mm-hmm. if you ever have seen the outsiders have you seen that oh yes like he's uh-huh. like back flipping around like you know, he's <laughs> just, and rob lowe tells a hysterical story on another podcast about patrick on that movie how like 
there would be all these stories floating around about like Patrick can do this or Patrick did that. And he, and he'd be just like, no fucking way. Like that's bullshit. You know, like this is all <laughs> hype. Like there's no way. And, and then he said like, it always turned out to be true. And he was like, he, he's the guy who like would come to pick you up at 6am for like the day's shoot. And mm. he would have been up all night, like building something in his garage or like literally like he was just like, he couldn't outdo him. Right. One of my favorite things about him just, and like, there are certainly like some lines and some elements of the character of Johnny Castle, but like, are certainly a little cheesy or seem a little ridiculous, but he, in my opinion, like he makes it work. Oh yeah. Because he's Patrick. Yeah. It's just like, that's (laughs) what I'm doing. But this is hysterical. I don't know if I put this in the notes or if you know this, but, um, the song, she's like the wind. So mm. that's Patrick singing that song. And right. the soundtrack is, I think, the fifth highest selling soundtrack of all time. Oh, amazing soundtrack. Um, yeah. So he came to the producers of the film with, and he was like, hey, I wrote a song for the movie. And I guess their initial reaction was like, you know, whatever, dude. Like, you're a fucking <laughs> actor. Like, you didn't write a song. Like, no. Like, stay in your lane. Right. And then somehow he got them to listen to it. And they were like, holy shit. This is really <laughs> and it ended up going on the soundtrack and being in the movie, which I just think is hysterical and like one of the best stories I've ever heard. Because that's just yeah. so, you know, of course that would be their reaction, right? Like, right. Go back to, go back to your trailer. <laughs> um, so I just, yeah, anything pretty much with that, I love. Um, you know, Lisa has some really great lines. And some really like hysterical moments. The sister, mm. um, and then of course, you know, no one puts baby in a corner. I mean, that line took on a lot. I bet there are people who've never seen the movie and don't really know anything about it, but they've heard that, right? Because it just yeah, it took on a meaning and a life of its own. What about you? What are some of your favorite moments? Ooh, I mean. Oh, that's rough. <laughs> so many. I mean, I carried a watermelon. It's pretty great. Yo, cuz. She doing this. She came with me. She's with me. I carried a watermelon. Carried a watermelon. I also, I couldn't stop laughing when, um, She's talking to Lonnie and he's like on the bridge and he's like, well, you know, they say I'm the catch of the county. And I'm like, oh, come off it, man. Oh, I know. You can't even believe the things that come out of that character's mouth. Right. It's like, don't be that guy. Come on now. Oh, he's that guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he, he is. He's ridiculous. Yeah. It is accurate. Yeah, right. <laughs> Technically, yeah, because he has two hotels. So, yeah. meh, meh, meh. <laughs> It is very interesting, this kind of like sexuality aspect to this film, because there's even that scene towards the beginning where the hotel manager is saying to all the waiters like, oh, well, you know, be nice to all the daughters and do everything that the parents say and, you know, romance them and this, that and the other. And then the entertainers come in and it's like, you do nothing. You just entertain. That is it. But all these waiter guys are like, oh, yeah, I'm going to Harvard. I'm going to Oxford. I have two hotels. And it's like, oh, do you really want to do you really want to be with those guys? 
Yeah, no, actually, no, because Johnny seems to be beating everybody off with a stick. So right. <laughs> apparently not. When it's kind of apparent after, because I do want to touch on, you know, the penny abortion aspect of this movie, which is so huge. And you kind of see, like, Robbie's the worst. Let, let's just put it out there. Yeah. Robbie's the worst because he's, he's romancing. Names from showgirls of this film. Oh, a hundred percent. You got to have one, I guess. You've got to have that evil foil. Yeah. And I just, it's so interesting to see how nobody can see it until he literally says, oh, thanks for helping, you know, Penny right. with that thing. Like, maybe it's mine, but who can say? Well, Johnny can see it. Right. <laughs> it's just... And I, I, you put in some really great aspects in your notes and also with the reviews and stuff of like, it's very, it's very well done in terms of, I mean, you have to remember 1963 ab abortion aspects, like that could have been done really distastefully and like really negatively. And you, you put it really nicely of like, it's, it's kind of a gold standard of like, she had a problem. She tried to fix it. Didn't work. And luckily she got help kind of feeling to it, but also not, she has a support system around her, which is really nice. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I mean, so that wasn't even my, that was from uh, probably that Jezebel piece. Did you go to Jezebel? Oh, yes. Time? Yes. So the, that's right. The abortion uh, subplot, I mean, I don't even think for 1960, even for 1987, it was incredibly controversial and incredibly mm. groundbreaking. A, that it was even included and B, that it was treated with such dignity as a normal um, problem that a good person might have to deal with and do their best under the circumstances, which yeah. even now, I mean, look where we're, hello, look what just <laughs> happened in 2021. That's still, it's still not, I mean, it's really sad. Um, yeah. And maybe there's just something fundamental about, you know, a Christian centric society that will just never allow us to get past this. I, I shouldn't even say Christians, a misogynistic society mm -hmm. um, who hides behind Christianity, but let's, let's not derail. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that was what was notable in what I had read is that it's they they handled it in a sensitive, human, compassionate way without any judgment of any sort from the you know the filmmaker's perspective. Um, but the backstory from from 1987 was that the studio was all ready to position this as a teen film, even mm. though what you know you if again many of the things that I shared with you from the articles that were written what ended up happening is that adults loved it. Kids loved it. Mothers and daughters saw it and it, it didn't fit into a category. It ended up having this universal appeal. Right. But mm -hmm. that's not what they thought. That's not what the studio was going for. So they had like Clearasol or something like an acne cream as a sponsor. <laughs> I really don't remember um, movies having like brand sponsors on like the posters or anything like that. But I guess right. that was the plan was that like on the film artwork and on the posters and the billboards or whatever, they were going to have 
branding for Clearasil. And when the the acne cream company read the script or saw the saw a screener or whatever, and they saw they got wind of the abortion subplot, they were like, absolutely not. <laughs> so then the studio goes back to Eleanor, the writer, and they're like, you've got to take it out. And she's like, you're an idiot. She's like, if I take it out, the entire plot falls apart. Like there's no right. reason that anything else would ha- happen. And then they were like, oh, I guess you're right. Like it's just so cliche, right? Like <laughs> yeah. they, it, didn't, it didn't occur to them. So they had to leave it in. And so they lost the, the acne cream sponsor, which when Jennifer Gray is talking about it in the, the DVD, she's like, it was such, it was a relief because she was feeling really humiliated that that was going to be attached to what she knew was not some teen movie. Right. And so it was a huge blessing. Um, and you know, the studio was very unhappy and went forward. And I mean, can you imagine, like, think about the key art for this film, that beautiful image of the two of them and that font, and it just feels so, and then you have like acne cream, like sitting right (laughs) next to them, it's insane. Like talk about like the unsexiest thing you could do. Um, but (laughs) even then, right. So in 1987, people were still up in arms that you would even have that that conversation about an abortion and i mean i think this is this really leads into that's just one of the things that i think makes this like a very feminist film um and and very groundbreaking is that it it handles coming of age and sexuality in an 18 year old you know young woman in again like a totally like thoughtful sensitive human way they don't cast her as slutty they don't cast her as dumb she's not like like yes sure she's a little naive and this is an awakening for her but like oh sure you never feel like she's clueless or she's falling into some trap or she thinks she and johnny are gonna run away together like she's so clear on like the constraints of the relationship and like what you go on and you know that jezebel writer really likes to talk about how like she's confidently sexual like even though she doesn't really have any reason to be and she seems very (laughs) excited to be having sex in like a good way you know and i mean you don't even see that i mean now i guess we see more stuff like that but that was very unusual and rare and yeah i mean i think the movie is super sexy but it never feels like pandering or like graphically you know like oh let's get some tits and you know it's just not like oh yeah yeah but it's still like racy and and I also like that you know like I was saying like sort of a counterpart to showgirls like she's kind of an unapologetic bitch like she's kind of tells what lies she needs to tell she tells people off left and right she storms off when she's pissed Uh uh-huh you know she stands up to the hardest person to stand up to her own father who to this point seems that he's worshipped her and she that's so hard you know to do that and I just think it's really um, broke new ground for a long time with the way that, and the fact that like she wasn't considered like an ingenue or like a traditional beauty by, you know, anybody (laughs) in Hollywood or the studio and, and some of the reviewers really slam this just ugly duckling thing. And the writer was like, that's not what this was about. Like at all. Right. And you know, she is, a gorgeous young woman and just real. like so I mean I just love all of that and of course people didn't you know 
Roger Ebert. Surprise, surprise. None of that was (laughs) got through to him. Um, I was reading, I was reading his review and I was like, what are you talking about, man? Like they made all of the best decisions in terms of, in terms of narrative, like they could have gone in so many different directions of like, this isn't just a boy meets girl at summer camp movie. Like there's so much more to it in terms of learning from each other and learning to dance and, and dance being a metaphor of like learning your own body in, in some sense and and embracing that. Yeah. So it's like, Oh, he sent it to me and I was like, I'm so mad. I can't, I can't even like, I finished reading it. I was like, I don't I just wasted 10 minutes of my day like <laughs> reading this. <laughs> so it really makes you dislike him, you know? Yeah. But it's it's so interesting that like that was kind of the feel of like, oh, she's an ugly duckling. It's like, she's beautiful. Like her hair is iconic. Like everything about how she portrays herself is like confident and like she realizes that she doesn't know everything, especially stepping into this new world and like kind of adjusts herself to say, oh, I have to be more open to like, these people have different lives than me. And like all of those things just like, Robert, what are you doing, man? <laughs> what are you doing? Well, I I think she she wants so badly to to understand people that are different from her. That's the other cool thing is that obviously she's been really sheltered as as she would be considering the time and the place. Mm-hmm. But like, as soon as she starts to engage with them and sure, like she says a couple things and puts her foot in her mouth and, you know, Penny's like, I'm not going to take your money, go back to your playpen. And, you know, they're, they're not e- easy on her understandably, but like she really sincerely wants to connect with people that are different from her. And I think that's, I mean, honestly, like I feel, I know they did a, a sequel and, sometime in the in the 2000s which is pretty forgettable but I feel like if they were going to be like let's update Dirty Dancing for today it wouldn't really have to do anything because all of this stuff is still something that like we're working on right like right whole woke age is like trying to understand people that don't fit into a category or different than you and all of that it's just it's all still here yeah absolutely well, I wanted to ask you in terms of like Patrick Swayze's character, I feel like he could have been, I feel like he was also treated so well in terms of like how his character was written because his problem seems so sensitive. And so I feel like he could have been kind of portrayed as like the overly sensitive guy or, you know, but he's still very much like a man, I guess, in terms of like 1960s, 1980s of like, he's, he's got like the leather jacket and he wears black and, but all of his, you know, problems are things that I think men don't typically talk about in terms of like, he feels like he's being used by these women and he doesn't feel like he's been in a relationship where people cared about him. And, you know, the line he says is like, people treat me like I'm nothing because I am nothing. And those are very like, that's pretty groundbreaking for like a male character in the 80s, it feels like. You know what I mean? Johnny, I came here because my father... You no, know, the, the way he saved her... I mean, I, I could never do anything like that. There was something that... I mean, the reason people treat me like I'm nothing is because I'm nothing. That's not true. 
You, you're everything. You don't understand the way it is. I mean, for somebody like me, last month I'm, I'm eating juju bees to keep alive. This month, women are stuffing diamonds in my pockets. I'm balancing on shit, and as quick as that, I could be down there again. No, that's it, not the way it is. It doesn't have to be that way. I've never known anybody like you. You look at the world and you think you can make it better. Somebody's lost, you find him. Somebody's bleeding. Yeah, and you... go get my daddy. That's really brave, like you said. That took a lot of guts to go to him. I mean, you are not scared of anything. I don't Me? Know... I'm scared of everything. I'm scared of what I saw. I'm scared of what I did, of who I am. And most of all, I'm scared of walking out of this room and never feeling the rest of my whole life the way I feel when I'm with you. Yeah, no, I mean, that it's really interesting. I hadn't focused too much on that. I will say I, I do struggle a little bit when he says... I figure they must really care about me. I'm like, all right, come on. He's not that fucking dumb. Like, get, right. Together. But I mean, yeah, like that sort of, um, I think it just goes back to that, like intense longing to be seen and respected and, mm. you know, considered. And I'm, sh you know, the class divides are really real and even more so at that time. Right. Like, there was a lot less of an opportunity for mobility and and that kind of thing. And something I think is also just like interesting to compare if you want to talk about like his character. If this were today, <laughs> like you had like those looks and that talent as like a underprivileged person from like a working class background, like well, all you've got to do is just use your camera phone and start your YouTube channel. Right. And like, people are going to be like falling at your feet. Right. But like, right. Obviously at that time, those things did not exist. And so like, we have that democratization now that is really beautiful for, so that people can be creators. Right. And like, right. It doesn't matter where you come from or what your qualifications are, but it's just so interesting how scorned and like shunned that, the entertainment staff were at this resort because it just it's hard to get your head around that because we you know worship people now if they're entertaining oh yeah and, and talented and in any way so i thought that was um really like notable just that they would be you know kind of in this silo but but yeah he does reveal a lot of vulnerability i guess that's also maybe um kind of a romantic ideal right like the oh yeah the macho guy who's really like very <laughs> vulnerable and in, inside and like able to show that to somebody oh yeah for I mean, sure she, you know she obviously brings that out in him too yeah and i the pair of them i think it's so funny that like they didn't necessarily get along on set or like, they were hated each other yeah but they have such beautifully beautiful chemistry oh. like while they're filming it's it's so nuts to me that like it totally worked for the for the yeah the <laughs> well did did i put in that that whole thing that scene when they're trying to um get the opening of the number down where she where he has is runs his oh finger. yes uh -huh. that was actually not in the script <laughs> that she kept cracking up like that that was really happening she couldn't hold it together <laughs> and he was legitimately like super annoyed with her Right. And then when they, I guess when they went back and looked at the um, footage, they were like, let's put this in. Right. And it totally does. Cause I mean, 
yeah, for the first, you know, what, half of the time that they're working on that, they're not getting along. Right. And they are arguing and frustrated. <laughs> so yeah, well, that must have worked for them. Oh my gosh. So well. And like, I don't, I don't know what magic happened within that set, but like, it just works from start to finish. And like, there's a reason it's like one of the iconic films, I feel like. Yeah. And it's just that same that kind up. of magic. Yeah. It holds up over time for sure. Oh, I mean, and there's just like, I can't think of anything else that I would even really compare it to. I mean, not that I've seen every film, you'd probably be a better person to <laughs> say that, but Oh, here's another good Patrick thing. I don't want to forget that just fits with what we were talking about with him. Um, so that last scene, mm. you know, the, which of course, besides the other scenes we already talked about, that final scene is every, you know, of course it's a favorite. And of I'm course. always like sobbing, like by that time, like I've never once <laughs> held it together. I'm like, you just, just let it go. Just go with it. But he had at that point, like a really bad knee injury, mm. but, and they wanted to use a double and he said, absolutely not. And he was like in severe pain and still did that scene, including if you remember, he jumps off yeah stage. and so that was just that was patrick for you apparently he, there was apparently. no way anybody else was going to do that oh and also the cheesiest part of that that i thank god for is when he lip syncs at dirt over oh. the song and like rests <laughs> his head and i just it's so cheesy but and i'm so grateful for it because it like then i start laughing after i've been crying <laughs> and like, oh, thank god even that works for me I know it's just so, and that whole, that whole final scene is like, you, you know, there's a little bit of dialogue beforehand. There's, you know, they're doing the cheesy resort thing. There's a little bit of dialogue that, you know, Patrick Swayze does. And then it's just dancing the rest of the time. There's like no speech, but you understand exactly what's going on. It's like her father finally gets it and like accepts it her mother gets it and accepts it. Like everybody's kind of like finding harmony in the fact that times are now changing at the resort. Like there's a different dynamic that's being formed. I just think that's also really beautiful of like finding equality through dance in a way of like everybody's on the same level because it's street dancing by the end of it. It's like, you know, we're just, we're just moving our bodies and, and having a good time. Right. And the way everybody's yeah. been on it is, is so cute. I mean, yes, it's of course like overboard, but it, I agree, it totally works. <laughs> and just seeing all the different people dancing together and finding that joy. And I mean, that choreography at the end, I'm waiting for a teacher to, in a class I take to, to teach us that combo because I mean, that is one of the best um, best combos that I can think of. I mean, I just absolutely love it when they're all moving forward. With yeah. The I mean, it's just, <laughs> it hits hard. It's yeah, amazing. absolutely. I just love that they all know the choreography. They're like, he's well, like doing those the-, are the kids. Those right. Are the kids, so <laughs> it's just, I love it. It's just, that's just the vibe. Well, remember, because actually, no, but remember when he has that spat with Neil in the dance studio, when Neil busts in on the lesson with, with (laughs) baby. Oh, by the way, that whole Mickey Sylvia thing was just them clowning around too. Oh, and improving. Oh, good. And that they built, that's how they built that. That wasn't like written in. So that was just them playing around. 
But <laughs> remember, he's like, oh, I've been working with the staff kids on this. And he starts oh. doing those steps. And then if you if you think about that and you watch that last scene again, you'll see that they're doing those steps. Oh, so I love that. They've been working on it. <laughs> Becky, they're working I on love- it. <laughs> and they get it they nail it oh. by the end <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna I, you know i'm probably gonna watch that tonight and just try to teach it to myself yeah. <laughs> what better to do on a friday evening <laughs> hot summer it's even though it's september it still feels like it's very hot here in la so it would be, oh yeah be appropriate <laughs> and i mean so as somebody who doesn't know dance as i've said yeah, but aren't you can, learning now? I mean, now we, this is our second yeah. conversation. So I feel like you can't <laughs> say that anymore. You're starting All to right. Be- I'm an expert now. <laughs> but I mean, I talked to me about this lift because it it's a reoccurring thing in the movie. They, you know, they have the scene in the water where they're trying to practice it and then she doesn't do it at the show and then she does do it in the end. It feels like it could be really simple. But I don't feel like it is, you know? I mean, I am I am not a partner dancer unless I just like out at a club and end up happening <laughs> happening to like run into somebody that I have a vibe with. But in, mm-hmm. in general, I find partner dancing like freaks me out and feels um, <laughs> too constraining to me. So mm-hmm. I've never actually done any training with a partner. But I am sure it is very, very difficult to execute those well and safely and gracefully. So I don't think any of that was a stretch. And and just given what we know about how the background of the people that created the film, that's I'm sure it's absolutely um, valid. And Miranda yeah. did tell me something about when they were on that log, she said, not that you would necessarily be on a log, but there was some way of learning things where you would do it on a line or you would do it on like a beam or something. But now, unfortunately, I can't remember the details, but like even that was pulled from, you know, real dancer background stuff. Mm, Interesting. Yeah, it makes sense to me. Like when, when they're practicing the lift all those times and when he's like, oh, are you trying to kill me? Like it would be so easy to hurt your partner. Um, yeah if you don't get the timing of the jumping and like the release just right with you know yeah I think that would be terrifying I'm, I am not planning to ever try to learn <laughs> to do that because that really looks terrifying right <laughs> um so Johnny actually that character is based on um a real dancer named Michael oh, Parents. Right. I'm just looking him back in my notes here um he was a ballroom and Broadway dancer, choreographer, actor, dance consultant, and writer. So I guess he was, uh, yeah, Michael Terrence was what, or Terrace, excuse me. Um, and he was born in 1926. So I would assume he's maybe not with us anymore, but, um, yeah, they sort of, I guess, wove that backstory a little bit from this guy. And Miranda told me also that, Penny and Johnny's um, dance style and sort of the fact that they were as good as they were together was based on some real life duo that I haven't looked up yet. But listeners, if you're interested, their <laughs> names are Augie and Margot. And I guess I don't know what era I'm assuming it was probably like the 60s. Um, mm. Somewhat Miranda said, but yeah, there was a real life dance duo named Augie and Margot. And um, that was kind of the basis for 
how Johnny and Penny dance together. I love that. I love how many layers they there are in this film. And oh, also yeah. like his, historical things too of like this is based on this and I think the um the the writer had said Eleanor Bergstein had said like you know this is based on like me when I was a kid. Yeah, and going to one of those resorts. Yeah, so like all of those things just kind of climax at the right moment to like create this perfect storm of like the right people at the right time. And, and it's, and let's be honest, that's fun to watch. Like at the end of the day, (laughs) I really had to like push myself into like, like you were saying, like really examining it because it is such an easy watch. Yeah. It is so easy to not think about anything while you're watching it and just get carried away by the story. Mm-hmm. and the emotions but that's just such a beautiful thing to be able to do as a film um you know actually just on that whole cat skills and you know the culture of a lot of jewish families on the east coast summering at these mm-hmm. resorts i don't know if you ever watch um, marvelous mrs Maisel. yes i was thinking about that they, i mean they go into that world too and i don't know if they were borrowing from this or you know they had to have been somewhat but you know, it's not dissimilar now that I really think about it. She, Miriam sneaks away from her family to go perform at the other resort. Yeah. And then her dad shows up there and she totally gets busted because everybody's furious that she would be performing. Right. Um, so that seems like a pretty clear lift from this film. But there's obviously something to that culture and the way that things were viewed, you know, in... in those communities at the time is it I mean it, it also goes back to I guess like you know the whole history of show people and, and mm. entertainers and, and actors for decades I mean until celebrity culture became a thing those were the people that were looked down as prostitutes and low lives yeah. and you know it, that's how people that worked in show business were thought of other than when they were on stage performing, right? Like they were, they were this like separate class that were really kind of shunned. Yeah. For the most part. Um, So I guess this really kind of touches on that element, which I think is a really fascinating, honestly, I'd love to um, see what's out there. Like what's been written about this specifically from that lens. How, Mm. How do we transition from, that keeping those people siloed and you're only valuable or worth anything when you're entertaining me. Otherwise you're a low life whore where we are today, you know? Yeah. It's a really um, interesting evolution, but we, we just see that play out so clearly here. Oh, absolutely. Think about like how people are looking at Penny and Johnny when they're dancing. And then, you know, when Penny ends up, you know, needing an abortion, yeah. Everybody's looking down on her. hundred percent. And I mean, there is even just looking at Johnny between when he's dancing and when he's not dancing, it's there's, there's a totally different dynamic between him and other people that when he's, when he's dealing with resort guests, it's either a woman is flirting with him, a man is giving him money or it's, um, or it's Lonnie being Lonnie. <laughs> And oh, just being yeah. oh, ne- do you mean Neil? Oh, Neil. Sorry. Yes, Neil. His real name's Lonnie. His real name is Lonnie. <laughs> <laughs> That's 
Yeah, no, or he's being disrespected by somebody in a position of authority. Right. And so it's it's very interesting to see so clearly that like his only worth to these people is when he is dancing and that is it. Like just not and so. That's probably the only time he feels like he's worth anything. And yeah. she says the same thing about herself, right? She's like, it's all I ever wanted to do. Mm. Yeah. And I do also when baby's like, Oh, I envy you, like that's such an awkward moment because oh, I know. baby doesn't know anything about her. And again, it's that longing and that outside looking in where, you know, it's just like we do on social media, right? You don't know anything about somebody, but you're sitting there looking at whatever they're posting and oh, they're so beautiful. They're so lucky. They're so wealthy. They're so fabulous. And that's mm-hmm. just the same dynamic, except what's just happening in real life. And, and yeah. she still, you know, everybody gets humanized, I guess, is really what, what ends up happening. Oh, for sure. And that, that scene is so interesting because it's not even like she says anything like, oh, don't envy me. She just walks away. Yeah. Penny's like, I'm not that's dealing with you. No. Right. <laughs> totally understandable oh for sure absolutely (laughs) i mean what else can we say about this movie other than how fantastic it is (laughs) i mean if you have not seen it make it your top priority of the weekend or whatever comes on 100 (laughs) percent it's available on amazon for rent uh Oh, you have three dollars, yeah. <laughs> and you know, don't underestimate what dance can do for any human being. Is what I would say. Yes. If you, if you don't think dance is for you, maybe this will change your mind, and you'll just start dancing alone in your room. <laughs> maybe it's time to take that dance class you've been thinking about. <laughs> yeah. Now that that's possible again. Right. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Oh, I wanted to ask you about this because you're the yeah. film expert. You're I'm the ready. actual like film academic. <laughs> this is from the LA Times Review. I just want to know if you know what this is. It says, and it has a finale that's the utmost test of the great bracket and wilder rule of movie making. Make an audience want something desperately and then give it to them. Hmm. Do you know what Brackett and Wilder, who, who they are? So I would assume Wilder is either meaning Gene Wilder or... Billy Wilder. No? I was going to say Oscar Wilde, but that's that's wrong because he's not a Wilder. So, I mean, I would assume probably Gene Wilder because he's, he's big on those, like, really comedic kind of feel like the bracket wilder rule of woman i yeah i'm not familiar with that i mean well i'm gonna gonna, i was gonna say i'm gonna have to do some research to get back to you (laughs) but i mean isn't that so great like make an audience want something desperately and then give it to them like yeah that could be the rule for literally any type of storytelling out there I Absolutely. Think that we should yeah. all be following if we're going to create any sort of narrative or performance. Yeah. And I mean, looking back at the film, it really accomplishes that in in so many small ways of like the lift is a great example. You know, she you know, she practices the lift. She doesn't do the lift and we want her to do the lift. We want her to dance. And then in the end, 
not only does she dance well, but she does the lift and then continues to dance. She's like got the guy for, you know, whoever knows how long, but it's like everything has kind of worked out and it almost feels like a sigh of relief of like, oh, she finally did it. Thank goodness. And she did it like really well. And there's applause. Oh, so good. <laughs> and then she lets go and she dances with that abandon that, that the reviewer mentions or, you know, yes. kind of quoted earlier. She's not trying. Even just the, the change from when they perform at the Sheldrake and she's so stiff. And, <laughs> yeah. and, and like you said, like it works. It's passable. The audience is entertained. They look beautiful. Nobody knows that she has no fucking idea what she's doing. <laughs> but compared to how she dances at the end, it's like night and day. You would never yeah. pick the first option if you knew you could opt the second one. <laughs> right. Hundred percent. I mean, I guess that is just a metaphor for for the whole trans, you know, the transformation of so many people in the film. And I really like that. How by the end of the film, again, here's like a Hollywood ending for you. But like everybody seems to have um kind of evolved just a little bit. I mean, yeah, in terms of the family members, Johnny. I mean, obviously Johnny and baby, but her family members and kind of all of the characters that we've gotten to know to any degree, you kind of just see a little bit of like, I'm just a little bit of a better person, you know, I've, yeah. I've opened up a little bit or I've let go of something <laughs> or stop being such a bitch or, you know, whatever. And of course right. that's just really gratifying. Oh yeah, for sure. But I feel like they do it without like totally hitting you over the head. With it. I don't know. Some, some people may disagree. I'm obviously a fan of them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's done tastefully. I mean, it's it's not the ending of Greece, which always makes me mad where the car drives off into the sunset, like I through the sky. Oh man, Danny and Sandy get in the get in the car, a car. I don't even think it's it's Danny's, and it flies away into the sky. Oh, 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 like a special effects kind of thing. Yeah, and it's like they wave goodbye to everybody who's still singing and dancing. The hand jive will always be together. and It's not that, thank goodness. No, not quite. (laughs) So it doesn't reach that level of like, this is insane and would never happen. But I think it hits that comfortable spot between realistic and this is a movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And and that we are trying to make um, like a, a larger point about value, yeah. and, you know, people growing up and all of that. Absolutely. Well, I mean, I don't think that people would still be talking about this film and they've actually released a, even a subsequent, um, like box set, like that has even more, um, features and bonus stuff than the one I have, like more recently. Oh, really? Um, so there, yeah, there's <laughs> obviously still an appetite there. Oh, for sure. I mean, yeah, it's... The soundtrack it, only gets better with time. 100%. I mean, easy listen. Great, great songs. And I mean, even now it's still referenced. I mean, you see people doing a lift, you immediately think of Dirty Dancing. Plus, if you have you ever seen New Girl? <laughs> Not really. She has this whole thing where like within the first couple episodes, if she's depressed, she watches Dirty Dancing on a loop until she feels better. Oh, okay. So all you hear, yeah. all you hear is the music from Dirty Dancing, and she's just sobbing about life. No, that's hysterical. <laughs> but yeah. yes, that would be a movie that I feel like would take somebody there. For oh, for sure. sure. <laughs> 
Well, I mean, is there anything else we can say? I feel like we've kind of hit a pretty natural stopping point. Um, yeah, I feel like we've really, really gotten, gotten into all of it. I would recommend anybody who is, um, into this film and has not read the Jezebel piece. The name of it is Dirty Dancing is the Greatest Film of All Time. I would definitely <laughs> recommend reading that. It's a really mm-hmm. interesting and uh, thoughtful retrospective on the movie that informs some of this conversation. For sure. Um, For sure. And yeah, no, I just think let's celebrate just an incredible film all around. And I just want to say to you, Becky, that I've had the time of my life <laughs> here today. You just try getting that song out of your head. Listen to Never. it and you're not, it's done. You're going to, for a week, that's all you're uh-huh. Absolutely. I've never felt this way before. I know it all to you. <laughs> well, I mean, let's stop it there because that's perfect. <laughs> I mean, Nina, thank you so much for coming back on. This has been an absolute pleasure as always. (laughs) Thank you for having me. It is a real honor and it's such a fun diversion to get to do this. Yeah. It's always fun to have you on. And I mean, where can people find you? Obviously the Instagram, LA Woman Woman Show on Instagram. Um, Mm -hmm. If you're in the LA area, stay tuned there for uh, an announcement of our next show, our ret- our return, our COVID return, um, in yeah, hopefully November in Los Angeles at an outdoor theater to be revealed. Amazing. Yeah, I'm. I mean, I'm so excited for you. I hope everything works out in this COVID world. Um, But I mean, again, thank you so much, so, so much for coming on and for picking such a wonderful film to talk about. Iconic. (laughs) Iconic indeed. Thank you, Becky. Another huge thank you to Nina Storm for coming on and talking about such an iconic film full of dance, full of layers, full of Patrick Swayze and Jennifer Grey. I mean, there is just not enough that I can say about this film that either already hasn't been said. I don't even know what I'm talking about anymore. (laughs) It's just so good. I have no words for it. And of course, if you liked this episode, we have two seasons and a summer session of content for you, wherein if you haven't already, you can listen to Nina's first appearance on the show in season two, where we talked about showgirls, because we are going with the dancing theme with Nina, which I love. And Of course, if you live in the L.A. area, you can also uh, follow her on Instagram where she will keep giving you updates on future shows if you're interested in seeing her live. Details to be determined. But of course, she's not the only one out there with an Instagram because we have an Instagram as well here on Scopophilia. It is at Scopophilia underscore podcast where I post at least Monday through Friday, sometimes daily with film content, announcements, updates on things going on with the show. Of course, 
You can go ahead and follow that for daily updates. You can also follow us on TikTok at Scopophilia, the podcast. And since you are on the internet already, you might as well rate, review, and subscribe the show because I know you're on your phone or your computer and those are all places that you can do that. And it helps the show and I love hearing from you guys. So really it's it's a win-win all around. You know what I'm saying? And additionally, if the internet is is not enough to contain your love for the show, I understand, uh, which is why we have merch for you. And the merch itself you can find in the bio of our Instagram and or if you go on NC Podcasts slash Scopophilia, that is our show page where there are updates as well as all of the merch that you can buy. We have hats, we have tote bags, and we have shirts all with our logo and our name on them. I personally like to wear my Scopophilia hat at all possible times and my Scopophilia tote bag I love to take to the local Aldi. So not to put ideas in your head, but it is there for you. And, uh, and it, it, you know, it might make some people question, you know, what is this? What is Scopophilia? Which is why I like to tell you, make sure that you're telling your friends and your family and your family of friends and your friends of family and and that stranger at the grocery store who's interested in what your shirt is all about. As always, I'm your host, Becky Teller, leading the millennial movie movement here on Scopophilia. And I will see you all next Friday. Bye!